All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. If you're hearing us right now on your radio, that's because we're live. And uh, I'm Harry Edwards, your host for this evening, and with me are two special friends, Anthony Costello to my left. How are you doing, Anthony? Good, Harry. Good to be back. Thank right. you for having me. All right. I know you've been um, – You've. this is not your first time, right? I think uh, we, we've tried to do a few, um, and it hasn't always worked out with schedule, but I think this is my third time now that I've actually go. made it into the studio. Yeah. We've always appreciated your insight, Anthony, so welcome back. And uh, Jacob, Dr. Jacob Daniel, how are you doing? Very good, Harry. So good to be here in the studio with Tony and with you. Just always a privilege. Uh, I I should let our listeners know that both of you guys work um, on Equal Justice, right? A Facebook uh, page right now? Correct. Equal Justice Podcast. Podcast. There you go. Tell tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing there. Well, uh, it's something we uh, started uh, in lieu of, uh, you know, just a lot of the cultural shifts that we've been seeing over the last few years. And we wanted to try and connect, uh, you know, sort of scholarship to the church where we thought um, maybe uh, academic work was not getting translated well um, and being uh, where it could be useful to pastors, elders, church leaders, um, especially on some of these very complicated issues like critical theories and stuff where, you know, to read all the material there can be very difficult, time-consuming. So we came up with the idea of equal justice to sort of be a resource for pastors and church leaders to give them sort of some – be able to digest some of these uh, hot topic issues. So Very good. Uh, I'll add something that kind of like connects with the very mission and vision of Heritage Council also. Um, uh, with equal justice is that to promote uh, and advance uh, the truth of Christian faith in the public square, connecting what we believe with what we do. Very good, very good. All right, well, again, like I said, we are live, and if you want to join our conversation, uh, please give us a call, 888-995-KKLA. Again, that's 888-995-5552. And uh, we are going to be talking about uh, C.S. Lewis's I- ideas, I guess, the last few chapters of his uh, major work, uh, Mere Christianity. I say major because, if I'm not mistaken, that's like one of the top-selling books of all time, I think. After it, the Bible. After the Bible. It's Mere Christianity. It's Bible and Pilgrim's Progress is up there. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mere Christianity. I mean, it's a classic. It's up it's there. So uh, if you haven't read it, I suggest that you read it because it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, but we decided to title our show, um, what did we say? The Embattled Church, Sinners, Saints, and Charlatans. Um, you won on this one, Tony, because <laughs> I asked for suggestions on the title. And I, uh, typically I go with Jacob at this time, you know, Tony. I'm the guest. I'm sort of the special <laughs> guest, though. <laughs> but uh, – let me ask you guys. I know we were talking about this early this week, and we decided we do a show on hypocrisy being a good defeater for Christianity. And um, there's a quote that I want to pull from from Lewis. It's it's uh, in the book actually, uh, and he said, "Let me see if I can uh, bring that up here." If you guys. See it. Go ahead and yeah. It's at the very beginning of chapter ten, book four. 
which he uh, called Nice People or New Men. Yeah, no, I found it. Here yeah. it is. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, When we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. And so, you know, we apologists, right? That's our bread and butter. We defend the truth claims of Christianity. And then when we have careless Christian leaders, prominent Christian celebrities, when they mess up, then the world points a finger at them and go, see, I mean, we told you your Christianity is no good because your Christian leader says you got to do this, but they don't, or they ought to do they ought not to do something and yet they do and so it uh, definitely makes it uh unbelievable so at least personally to me i know i've i've uh, and i've shared this with you guys i think the charge of hypocrisy uh regrettably uh, a lot some of my friends they kind of dismiss it offhand and say uh, and give the pat answer and say, well, don't look at the followers. You know, look at the source. Look at Jesus. And objectively, that's true, no doubt about that. But the the fact that they dismiss it so so nonchalantly bothers me because I think it's it's a it's a rigorous uh, defeater because it's not like we're claiming uh, like this detergent. Uh, is better than detergent B, you know. Mm-hmm. So if uh, I say detergent A is is the best, and then I go out and uh, and shop for detergent B, uh, then I uh, then I'm accused of hypocrisy. We're not saying it's that. We're talking about ultimate things. We're talking yeah. about uh, uh, the source, uh, God Himself, saying that if you are in Me, then you are. Transform. You are a new creature, right? Mm-hmm. And so that newness, right? Uh, we expect certain things from the new creature, which is, well, not bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, or in in our uh, in our way of saying things, it's uh, bearing fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to just talk about that and maybe appreciate the uh, gravity of that kind of a- accusation. I think we should be dismayed, and we should be uh, in a you know. Um, Devastated when we hear news of, of of Christian leaders fall when they fall from grace, and we know some of them recently, right? Um, so, what do you guys think of that? As I'm setting setting this uh, for our conversation this evening, what comes to mind? Well, um, yeah, I'll just try and add some more nuance to what you already said. Um, so, in the in the chapter, Lewis says there's a there is a res- a reasonable contention here by the non Christian. Uh, that you kind of laid out. It says, look, and you could put it this way. It's, look, one of the core tenets of Christianity is that if you come to know God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will sanctify you. He will purify you. He will live in you. And you will uh, become a more moral person. Your behavior should change. Um, If people say, well, look, we don't see those changes in you so-called believers – well, then one of two things could be going on. One, you could be talking to somebody who didn't really have a true conversion, possible. Right. Or the other inference could be, well, maybe there is no such thing as this Holy Spirit that does this sanctifying work. So, and that's where you're going to this. Could this potentially be a defeater right. of the truth of Christianity? Right. You know, because this is a huge claim we're making. We're making a claim that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us and changes us from the inside out. But if you don't see the outside behavior, when the inside changes well, then 
that's a, a legitimate challenge. And Lewis says that's that's a reasonable contention. But then he mitigates that a little bit um, by saying, but look, it's not so crisp and clear as to how this works. It's not like you just have Camp A, which you put all the Christians in, and Camp B, which are all the non-Christians. And then if you just pluck out anybody from Camp A, they're going to be nicer than somebody in Camp B. What's the title of that chapter again? It's uh, Nice People or Nice People or New Men. Or New Men. Yeah, yeah. And you got to understand that <laughs> Human beings are complex, and we're all getting plucked out of the world by God at different times and places in our lives. And some people have what we might say just better integrated personalities. They've been endowed with more natural gifts. They might have a better personality to begin with than the wretched, miserable sinners uh, like like you and me. Um, and there's a sort of ongoing work that has to occur for the new machine, you know, to start producing better fruit, yeah. right? And so it's it's just – it's not quite as easy as sort of a one-to-one calculation where as, as soon as somebody becomes and, – and he talks about people – there are people who are slowly becoming Christian. There are people who are slowly falling away from from their Christian faith and you never can really know the, the status of a person's soul. Um, so that does mitigate to some degree. It does a little bit. And, um, and, and, this yeah. idea of hypocrisy. He says you can't, you know, you can't just generalize. You have to start thinking about real people, real concrete people, where they started off with, uh, where they started off before they became Christians, and where they are in the process of going. And also think about the person who's the non-Christian, and maybe who was endowed with a lot of natural gifts, a well-integrated personality. And where they could be if uh, God came into their lives. Uh, I'll just add just one thing to that is that uh, anyone who is raising that objection must know that we are advised uh, or we are told that we need to be actually judging by the fruit that we bear. So there is some reasonableness in that. But at the same time, it makes sense. This question or objection makes sense only when the person who is raising that objection uh, adopts the same standard that the Bible offers, right? Uh, so one of the questions for the person who is raising that question would be, by what standard are you raising that question as well? And do you submit to that very standard when, when you are raising that very question uh, to a believer and non-believer? So definitely there's this reasonableness. At the same time, there's this complexity mm-hmm. of uh, the variance in terms of people on the path of coming to the Lord or, or getting away from him. And recognizing that is so much important. And, and to make it concrete, I mean, you got to think about like, look, you take some some twenty five, twenty six year old uh, man who was horribly abused as a child and has all kinds of emotional trauma that they're dealing with. They come to Christ. Look, they might still be dealing with all kinds of personality issues that will be worked out over time as they stay faithful to the Lord. But you, you know, um, you know, it's not like if. If if God just instantaneously perfected us, you know the and day sometimes He does. You took yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> instant perfection. Um, well, look, everybody would be Christian. I mean, that might take out free will yeah. in a sense because there'd be a literal demonstration uh, that would be undeniable. I mean, so that might even war against the idea of God endowing us with some kind of free will and some hiddenness. 
uh, so that we can make a free decision to choose, to uh, accept Christ. So um, that people are, who have, especially people who have struggled in their early childhood and stuff, that they are still going to have, like myself, not say in my early childhood, I have a very wonderful family. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, a lot of the emotional issues that we struggle with as holistic beings, um, as adults, they're still going to, we're still going to struggle with them, you know, and it's going to take time to grow in wisdom and stature, just as, uh, you know, Jesus did also grow in some sense in wisdom and stature. Yeah. And we are, we are offered this wisdom in the scripture to imitate those who set a good example. And not to imitate those who, are, who do not set a good example. Uh, we are never called to duplicate and become them, right? God is not looking for copies of us. Right. He is looking for people to imitate. And that only happens when we recognize that as individuals called by the Lord. And, we know, uh, uh, and to have the privilege of knowing Christ in our lives is that we enter into that process of imitating him and becoming him. Uh, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Right. And it's a process that we engage in. It's a process of improvement yeah. rather than becoming nice. Right. And it is one that's not going to be completed in this lifetime. Yeah. It will continue in a potentially infinite future. Right, right. I know uh, Lewis was big on the, the natural abilities uh, where you might start out as nice already. And so, in fact, he was saying that that might even be a more challenging path to sanctification if your natural abilities of, of being nice uh, might prevent you from seeing the need of a savior versus someone who's totally wretched, right? And then they, they see how they, they need to conform to a better behavior because they're just so wretched. They already know. Uh, uh, so I, I thought that was helpful. That's yeah. great insight from, from Lewis. Uh, but when I was hearing you guys speak, is that something actually you would – Take the time to let the uh, unbeliever know, perhaps, if they're raising that objection, the hypocrisy objection. Uh, one distinction that I would help to maintain, uh, definitely after engaging with them for some time, uh, is to make them recognize, as Christians would say, we all belong within the covenant of creation, right? We all have the image of God on us. God has endowed in us certain capacities and talents and gifts Every individual, regardless of whether we know him or whether we acknowledge him or not. Uh, but there is this also something that we believe in is the covenant of grace that imputes in us uh, 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 the wisdom to recognize that these faculties, these capacities and what God has endowed in us is must be oriented to glorify him, must be oriented to recognize that he is the author of these things. And when that happens, that, that's when we truly become humble before him and glorify him. Yeah, I, uh, that's a good point. I mean, the, the humility piece is, is the important piece here because Lewis uh, compares, you know, he comes up with two fictional people but gives them some, you know, one is Miss Bates and the other is Dick Firkin and, you know, Dick Firkin has all these natural abilities, the well-integrated personality. Miss Bates is a mess, right? And um, But, you know, there is this – and the biblical example would be the people that Jesus hangs out with versus the Pharisees, who probably were very morally decent, who probably did have well-integrated personalities in their lives together, who probably did want to, you know, fulfill the law. Um, and then Jesus is out hanging out with the sinners and the publicans who are prostitutes and tax collectors and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, 
Lewis comes up with a contemporary example, you know, the, the, the danger with the person who has all of these natural gifts is to fail to re- recognize where they came from in the first place. You know, it, uh, that these are endowed by his creator, his or her creator. And, you know, there was a story that I heard from um, Johnny Erickson Tata, who I think our listeners, listeners will know, who was um, a very uh, attractive young lady who was a good athlete, but she had a diving accident at the age of 16 or 18 years old that, that broke her spine and she was paralyzed for the rest of her life. And years, she went into ministry and very famous speaker, very powerful speaker. And uh, she tells a story, and I, I hope I'm getting this right, that you know she was sitting with, uh, years later, with a very attractive, successful, talented young lawyer. And she kind of looked at this young lady and she said, you know, it's going to be much harder for you in your walk of faith than for me. Because you have been gifted with hmm. so many talents, with uh, physical beauty, with a, a bright mind, and so on and so forth. I'm so incapacitated. I've lost all those gifts, most of them at least. Um, I'm so reliant on God's grace every day. I cannot. The danger is we start relying on the things that God gave us, but that came sort of built into us. We start relying on them. We become so reliant on them that we think, who needs who needs God? Hmm. Forgetting the source. Yeah. Forgetting the source yeah. and then also thinking that we don't need salvation. Now, I would say that one thing I might disagree with Lewis on the end here is I think if this carries on, then um, the person may not actually stay nice because at some point there is pride. And um, if we're not humble before something other than ourselves, like our creator, then we can and we relish in these natural gifts that we have. And we begin to lord them over others. I think that is what happens. I think the fear is this. If you remember, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what shall I do? Good, good master. Mm-hmm. He calls him good, right? Yeah. He starts with yeah. that idea of his idea of good. And he says, good master, what shall I do to have eternal life? And Jesus asks him a question. Why do you call me good? There's only one good God, right? And from there on, Jesus deals with his inner deficiencies in one sense and exposes his idea of good. Right. His, that it is not your good that's going to save. It's not good enough, apparently. It's not good enough. <laughs> good enough. Go and sell. He you was know, not saying that you become poor and follow me. That's, that, that was not the idea. But confronting his idea of goodness and maybe in some sense in our context here, niceness, mm-hmm. right? Being nice would win me some extra points. That's not the whole idea. Go and sell everything. Come and follow me. The same kind of calling that other disciples had. He could be one of the disciples, just like Peter and others, right? Come and follow me. But there he was disappointed and left. Right, right. And, you know, and there is also this other thing about pointing out good outward behavior versus what's going inside on inside a person. Mm -hmm. You know, what the motivation for the good behavior is, is as important as in God's eyes as what's going on inside. I could say before my conversion, I was doing a lot of good, charitable things on the south side of Chicago, things that made me look very good in the eyes of others. My motivations were not pure. Hmm. I, know, I could tell you that. You know, it was interesting. I watched a video of Denzel Washington online yesterday giving just a short testimony of his um, 
uh, his born again experience, yeah. his becoming a Christian as a younger man. And he talks about, you know, to, uh, and here's somebody who's talented and bright and everything. He's had all these natural gifts. His mother challenging him because he's a very charitable guy in his personal life. And his mother's saying, but you know, Denzel, it's time for you to start doing good things the right way. Hmm. And what she meant is, and he said, you can't earn your way into heaven at the end of the day, right? So all your good, and now we're getting into all your good behavior, all your good works. So um, the motivation is going to matter uh, as well. And having those natural, the, even the ability to do, be virtuous sort of naturally because you've been raised well or whatever could be a hindrance to becoming a new creation. Hmm. You know, you take that. So whether or not I would say that to a non-believer, I don't know, but I think it's true. I yeah. think it's yeah. true. And I, I would use my own story to mm-hmm. illustrate it. And th- that's interesting what you point. Usually what we hear is that I didn't have a proper upbringing. My parents were not, they, they hid things from me. They, they were not, um, you know, uh, clear about what they believed in. They always wanted me to actually believe in things for just for the sake of believing and having faith and things like that. And so they object more in terms of not having the right kind of upbringing. But what you're pointing here is that having an, a proper upbringing can actually not bring you closer to God. Yeah, can I say work it's against you. Way too complicated. Human life and the way God works in our lives is just—it's not one plus one equals yeah. two. It. It's far more complex than that. Well, that's why Scripture tells us that it's harder for the rich man to get into heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Because the rich man would uh, probably rely on their sufficiency yeah. and not acknowledge uh, their deficiency. I like what uh, – I'm going to read a quote from Lewis here. Uh, and it's related to what you said, Anthony, uh, because, see, God is not interested in just making – uh, men better. It's that whole gradation, right? Good, better, best. But uh, I like what Lewis says here, and I'm going to read it uh, toward the end of chapter, what, chapter 11, I think? Oh, no, chapter 10. Uh, l- let me read it. It's uh, He says, God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better or better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it, it has got its wings, it will soar over fences, which could never have been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. Yeah, I, like I love that. that. And then he goes on to say that, you know, when you see the wings growing, the horse might even look uglier. That's right. In a sense. Kind of like the ugly ducklies story, right? Yeah. It's like the what the potential that God is bringing out of the person, right? The horse looks ugly when the wings are just lumps. But then once those wings open up, it can do things that the the natural horse never mm-hmm. could. Uh, yeah. One of uh, the things that we have kind of bought into, even within the church, is that Christianity is for nasty people. It's not for nice people. That's right. Right? And I think that's absolutely wrong. Christianity is for dead people yeah, to yeah, make like them it. alive. <laughs> it's, it's not about nasty people or nice people. It's for dead people. <laughs> it's for dead people, right? And we all are dead in sin. And whether you be nice or you're not nice, you need a savior. 
And you can find that in Christ alone. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so uh, when we apply that to even our own lives in the process of sanct- sanctification, right? I know that's a fancy word to mean that um, uh, the Lord is just conforming us into his likeness. And then uh, it'll... Uh, we we will get there and and, and and call it it's called glorification once we see him face to face. But there could be many moments of ugliness, like you were saying, something that we ought to recognize. All right. So uh, after the break, uh, gentlemen, right? We're going to talk about maybe uh, uh, methods of accountability. Like how, how do these leaders fall? Why they fall? Perhaps and what. Uh, what we can do to um, prevent those kinds of things. Mm. Um, Like you were saying, um, this is a teaser for the second half hour, but you're you're saying, because you you have personal experience, because you were once in the Catholic faith, right? And and Catholicism seems to to have those structures in place, and evangelicalism has none. Yeah, and there's two, you know, like with everything, the devil likes to work at the extreme ends, and uh, there's always the, the the righteous path, which is tends to be down the middle. Um, so there there are good things about having more objective structures of authority um, and accountability, which the Catholic Church does have, but those can be uh, abused in certain ways as well. But then we have to ask the question, I think, as evangelical Protestants. Do we have any sort of objective criteria by which we uh, not hold each other accountable but at least uh, understand whether or not somebody has genuinely repented or not and whether or not they can be restored to a former position? And are we able to recognize that it's not merely privatized confessions, privatized recognizing of our faults, but there is some responsibility towards the church and a corporate body that we belong to? Right. All right, well, I hear the music, so that's our cue to um, be quiet, and we will be back after this break. The mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. This is John MacArthur welcoming you to Portraits of Grace. I imagine it would be quite an honor to be an ambassador for the United States, representing this country's character and power to other nations. As Christians, we have an even greater honor, though, and that's to represent the character and power of our God to the world. Peter challenges us to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That means we are to make something known that is unknown. 
In this case, it is God's excellencies, which are His powerful and heroic deeds, including the deeds of salvation. We have the great privilege of proclaiming what God has done for His people. Let's take full advantage of our opportunities to do so. This is John MacArthur hoping you'll join me again for Portraits of Grace. How many times we've heard someone say, life just isn't fair. Hello, this is Chuck Swindoll. Listen, life is not fair. Are any of us surprised by that news? Families are torn apart by divorce. Disease comes and steals the light from a loved one's eyes. For some of us, it's been an unfair situation at work or at school. But listen to what Peter reminds us. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear intimidation. And do not be troubled, but set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Don't let the unfairness of life steal the joy from your hearts. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Welcome back to the uh, second half hour of the Apologetics.com radio show. I am uh, so excited that I get to be with my buddies, Anthony and Jacob. And we're talking about uh, the embattled church, sinners, saints, and charlatans. Maybe uh, b- before we get into that again, um, I'd like uh, Anthony tell us uh, what he's involved with and invite you to check out his um, ministry. Yeah, so thanks uh, for the plug, uh, Harry. And so there's two ministries that I'm involved in. One we already mentioned, which is the Equal Justice Podcast that Jacob and I do with another uh, colleague from Talbot uh, School of Theology. Um, and then I, I write for uh, an online uh, religion magazine called Patheos. I'm a regular contributor there. It's www.patheos. And I, I think it's org. I should know this. <laughs> uh, patheos.com. It is patheos.com, P-A-T-H-E-O-S.com. And my blog site there is called Theological Apologetics. And uh, I try and get two or three articles up a week, so that's where I do most of my writing. Uh, and I also post our uh, can post our shows up there. So if people don't hear tonight, I will also be posting the shows up on Patheos, the Theological Apologetics uh, blog site. And I would like to take this opportunity, not just because I'm your friend, Tony, but uh, I would say. Uh, being in the academia uh, for too long now, um, I'm able to actually discern in terms of the quality and the content of any article. And I would say yours is one of the best that's available now on topics that are relevant, not just in terms of, you know, just uh, some superfluous idea, but something that is very much relevant in terms of engaging with our time. Yeah, definitely check out Anthony Costello's um, blog at Patheos. Patheos Theological Apologetics. There you go. site. Not to be confused with pathos, right? <laughs> well, I think what they did is they co- combined pathos and theos, right, into patheos, which is kind yeah. of a, a clever. Yeah. yeah. Good, good. Well, I, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, if you're listening to our show, it's because of uh, faithful supporters, and uh, we are 
entirely a volunteer ministry, and we desire that our show continue, but we rely on your financial help. So if you want to help us and support the ministry of apologetics.com, we would invite you to donate, and it's it's really simple. Just go to our site and click the Donate button, and any any amount helps. I kid you not. A dollar or a hundred dollars, it doesn't matter. So long as you or are, a thousand or a thousand, there you go. Um, it reminds me of uh, you know when Jesus observed that uh, that lady who gave just the two mites, the two, two mites. mites. Yeah, uh, she gave her all on that one. So. Um, and in fact, just a, a, a fun fact here. What's amazing about the IRS when you are uh, a nonprofit organization um, and, and you are formed under the 501c3 category, uh, I don't know if you've thought about it, but the, the government itself, actually, the way that uh, the system is organized, almost requires that the organization receives little donations from many rather than large donations from a few. Um, they get suspect if you get large donations from a few. Mm. So I'd rather get $1 from a 100 of you guys than a $100 from one guy. That's just how it works. So that's great. So even the government, right, actually encourages uh, – communal support of organizations. How about, Harry, $100 from 100 guys? There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's what we're praying. So we can be on the air and uh, even give these guys some gifts, at least gas money or anything. All right. Uh, so let's continue with our discussion. We want to talk about how uh, – and during – you know, be- before the show, we were talking about how uh, celebrity Christian leaders, when they fall and um, and – we don't have a criteria for accountability and even restoration to begin. Let, let's talk about that, gentlemen. Um, so you, just before the break, you mentioned how it seems like the Catholic Church has a lot of those rules in place already, while evangelicals have zero rules in place. What, yeah, what? I mean, I don't know if evangelicals have – I've only <laughs> been an evangelical for about 11 years – for, well, exactly 11 years almost. Um but I, well, and there, so there's two things, and and also I don't know that this if it matters if the person's a celebrity or not. I mean, we just know about yeah great failures because people are celebrities yeah. in some way. I mean, this could obviously just happen with the local pastor, or elder, or whatever. Um, but I, it's a big issue because a, there's been a lot of big celebrity cases recently, and some of the names people know, Ravi Zacharias, of course was maybe the most devastating for all of us. Uh, but then you have um, other, Bill Hybels, Bill Hybels several other years ago. And in the Catholic world, I think most people are aware of the priest scandals, the priestly abuse scandals. There's been several rounds of those. Uh, there's an excellent movie called Spotlight um, about the scandals in, that took place in Boston in the 80s. Uh, heart-wrenching um, uh, story, very well-made film. Um, Jean Vanier is a, was a, a, a very famous Roman Catholic lay minister who posthumously was revealed had all kinds of uh, sexual sins under his belt. So there's there are these sort of um, examples of ex- extreme hypocrisy. Mm. Um, you know, and one thing would be like 
accountability structures to try and prevent them from happening. But then in the aftermath of either the more extreme examples or, you know, the pastor who falls into adultery and the, you know, what are the criteria for knowing whether somebody has genuinely repented and whether they could be restored to their previous position. Now, the Catholic Church does have a lot more structure to it being more institutionalized but on both ends, the accountability, um, just with the hierarchical system, and then the restoration with the whole theology of penance, uh, which um, has sort of gotten lost in modern evangelical uh, Christianity in America. So um, it's just a conversation I think that you know we might need to be having. I don't know that I have any excellent answers on this. I mean, Jacob, maybe you want to speak on the accountability part, the preventative yeah. first. Uh, there's one thing, um, looking at some of the examples uh, uh, in the past in terms of seeing people not finishing their race well. Uh, I think one of the weak points in their life had been one of not being rooted in a local church. Yeah. Uh, and that's a red flag. I always say I shouldn't be doing a, a ministry out there in the world, which I'm not doing in the church that I belong to. Uh, am I being accountable to uh, the eldership and the leadership that's there? Having said that, uh, Tony, you mentioned about structures, and I, I completely agree that we must have structures. But also we should be checking that whether these structures are directed to fulfill what we read in Matthews 18. Uh, at the end, of, uh, in, in a way where the presence of God is there. God says, I'll be in the presence of uh, two or three who gathers together, right? In the context of discipline, uh, uh, disciplining uh, uh, the believers, right? In that context. And I think it should be, while we have the structures, it should not be directed towards appeasing uh, the, 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 the desires of the elders, appeasing the desires of any individual, right? Rather to appease God and, mm, right. and his way of discipling us. Um, that is necessary. So one of the key things in terms of accountability to any, uh, for any individual involved in ministry, I would say is one of being rooted in the church. Right. If one is not, then we, that could, that's a major red flag in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's very dangerous for us as Christians to be solo flyers mm. off, untethered by ourselves. That's where Satan is going to get the best of us. I mean, good, if you want to go read the Desert Fathers and go off and live in a cave somewhere. But even there, the stories of the Desert Fathers are all about spiritual attacks from Satan as they tried to go through these spiritual battles on their own yeah. until St. Benedict of Nursia had to come along and say, why don't we try and do this thing but in community? And he started the first monasteries where it was like, okay, we're sort of isolated, but we're not. Hmm. We're isolated, but we're in a community hmm. together. So even there in the monastic tradition, it was realized very quickly in the church's history that one could not be off alone. Um, what happens to Jesus? I mean, Jesus goes off alone. He gets tempted right away. The other times he goes off alone because he has, he's praying to the Father. He has to recuperate. Yeah. So, But uh, to be on our own solo flyers, that is not going to be conducive to living <laughs> Yeah, no, Christian no Lone life. Ranger Christians. Out yeah. No, there. I, I always say that uh, stand alone Christian wouldn't stand at the end. Mm. 
Mm, you know, yeah. that's not possible. That's not how we are called to. Um, this is the Lord's ministry, and He has uh, appointed uh, people around us to come alongside. God has not just chosen us as individuals to fight to fight this fight, and it, we are in a battle, and we need our comrades yeah. <laughs> uh, along yeah. with us to fight this battle. So uh, if I'm reading Galatians 6, one, if I'm understanding this correctly, I think it's pretty clear, right? Um, uh, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So there's that whole theme of restoration. So I, I know we talked uh, about setting some fences around this topic because it's we're not going to cover everything we're not going to have a long drawn out dissertation on, on church discipline uh you know in one hour here so there's going to be a lot of gray areas but there are certain non-negotiables uh one of them would be forgiveness right so there would be forgiveness but what about uh so, so that's not even controversial right just forgiveness ought to be there but in in the Accountability and restoring part, especially if it's a Christian leader, what do you guys think about uh, a criteria there? Like when uh, when is the, the leader or the Christian restored, or are they exempt from leadership forever? Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, I there is this this again this problem of. You know, working in extremes. I mean, if we if the church becomes too institutionalized and everything becomes too objective, objectified, you know, where there's like, you know, the Catholic Church has like canon law, right? Where, you know, it's very much laid out exactly what certain punishments would entail and certain behaviors would would receive as punishments and so on and so forth. And then you do that. Uh, you go through that process of penance and so on, you know. And um, I mean, canon law has more to do than just with with these kinds of personal sins. But um, you know, one of the problems there is okay. Well, it could be that somebody just says, "Okay, I'll just do all these things," but they're just sort of checking the box because they want to get back into the position they were in. But nothing's changed really changed in their hearts. You've given them a series of tasks to do, so to say. Say you know your rosary a hundred times, whatever it may be, you know, go on a pilgrimage. And they do it, but there hasn't been any internal mm-hmm. change. But then you'd have to say, oh, but they fulfilled all the criteria. So they're back into the priesthood or the pastorate or whatever. So that wouldn't be good either. So that would have its its downside as well. But then, you know, what we seem to be struggling with is, okay, but if we if it's totally subjective and you just say, well, I felt the Lord forgive me and I've repented and now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready for ministry again. You know, and it's been like a week since the guy cheated on his wife or something. Well, you know, I mean, it could be true. It could be true that in a short period of time, the person genuinely repented and the Lord has forgiven him and, and there's forgiveness. But, but then, you know, should there be some kind of time period? So there'd be other kinds of tasks that maybe you would want to see the person perform first before you just throw them back into the position that they just abdicated in virtue of their more egregious sin, right? right? 
And I, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard question yeah. to answer. I, I would take a, a slight different approach in that too. Uh, so when we have a leader uh, who has fallen from grace in the church, or even a celebrity, for example, or someone, uh, I, 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 I would say that there shouldn't be any celebrities in ministry. Uh, but say if there's an individual who is uh, who has a worldwide ministry and is part of a local church, uh, or it has an organization that has a church affiliation or something like that, it would be mistake in all cases to assume that this one individual have to bear the full burden of guilt. Sometimes even the churches play a part in positioning people mm-hmm. who shouldn't be positioned as leaders. Right and recognizing them as leaders, so there is also a need for restoration of the church, yes, yes. and correcting uh, the themselves, yeah, sure. yes, or yeah. maybe the board, or yeah. and there is a collective responsibility that needs to be taken care of, and I think the mistake happens when the board or the church is, doesn't want to, or the elders don't want to take that responsibility, they are left with letting things continue the way they are. Yeah. Well, as far as like a more concrete church structure, I, I, I'm be, becoming increasingly skeptical of churches that don't have elders, of which there are certain kinds of churches that just have senior pastor, CEO type. Yeah, pastor, I mean, yeah. with I mean the 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 idea of the board of elders goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, when um, Moses's father-in-law, whose name is Jethro, Jethro, suggests the elders. That Moses can relegate authority to, right? So this isn't this is rooted in God's plan that there be uh, elders uh, that are provide oversight for the congregation yeah. and and the and the leader, the, the lead pastor, you know. Um, and Jacob, you you were saying how some some uh, of the uh, celebrity type leaders out there, you've observed that. They are just not part of any local church, right? Um, it, it's very difficult because when you're traveling 200 days or 250 days a year around the world, I'm not saying that everyone is like that, not at all. Right, right, Don't right. hear me wrong here. Uh, uh, but what is your intentional local engagement in the church where you are engaged at a level where you are doing exactly what you're doing outside within the church. How are you empowering and encouraging and equipping uh, the, the congregants that God has initially called you to? My first responsibility as a minister of God is towards my family, right? The immediate uh, the extension immediate, of that right. is my church yeah, yeah. and then the world. If I'm concentrating just to go out in the world at the expense of my family and church, that must be questionable. Yes, yeah, right. So that's a red flag right there. So that's another fence or boundary that we can put there. You're right. Because like if we that. do that, then we are actually losing two measures of accountability, my family primarily and then the church. I mean there's – and this is sort of leading into this, you know, what we what we were calling sort of the, this problem of extreme hypocrisy or the – you know, where you really find the wolf in the sheepfold. Mm-hmm. Which seems to go all the way back to the Bible itself, where John says, you know, there were many among us, but they were not of us. Mm-hmm. And then Paul is, you know, condemning Alexander and Hymenaeus to be given up to Satan, right? Yeah. Uh, but apparently they were part of some church doing something, you know. And then um, I was reading through 
Irenaeus's Against Heresies book too, where he talks about a a very popular preacher at that time in Gaul, present day France, called Marcus, who was using clearly using his spiritual power, his spiritual position, to basically do what some of these other people we mentioned were doing: lure women into his congregation, promising them spiritual sort of gifts, like gifts of prophecy and everything. And Irenaeus, Irenaeus makes it very clear he was doing this to woo them into his bedchambers, right? I mean, so um, it does seem to be the case here, you brought this up, that a lot of these things, a lot of these failures seem to be sexual sexual in nature. In nature. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I sort of said uh, before the show, well, it's probably because the sexual experience is, I put it at the third most powerful experience a human person can have. You thought it might be second. I said that the experience of God is clearly. Yeah, um, I agree with you on that. that. One. <laughs> and then I thought that the experience of, of warfare would be uh, second. But whatever it is, it would make sense that the sexual experience is probably where most people are going to fail, most men especially. And uh, uh, so, you know, the, the accountability structure for that and then the restoration uh, uh, piece, again, becomes that much more uh, critical. And the accountability not just for the person who does it, but again, as Jacob said, for everybody around who wasn't watching carefully enough. But I will say this about celebrity uh, pastors. It may be the case, especially our day and age, it may be hard for somebody not to be to, to not become a celebrity. You know, even Chris Ostom apparently was sort of a celebrity. They gave him the, the name Golden Mouth. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the way we sort of do our ministries is first via media. And it may not be somebody's fault necessarily that they become popular – what are they going to do? Start trying trying to preach bad sermons, you know? So right. but, turn off people's social media, right? right? Right, you know. So it may not be that somebody is necessarily grasping for celebrity right. status, right. but it's just sort of conferred upon them. Jesus but, had celebrity yeah. status for Jesus sure. Christ superstar. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I just wanted. So I don't know. I was just adding there to kind of what what Jacob said. But I think for these extreme cases, you know, look, for these extreme cases, we don't even know if there is such a thing as restoration, right, yeah. for these extreme cases. And those are the ones that I think where the, the non-believer, the non-Christian can looks, looks at and says, and it's very hard. How do you answer the person then who is like, but look at that. And you're like, you know, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, and connecting to our topic today, the whole question of niceness mm -hmm. and how does that connect with us being Christians? And one of the examples I always give is one of the nicest people that I see in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts we read about, Ananias and Sapphira. The most compatible couple you'll find in the Bible agreed on everything, wanted to somehow help the church. But at the end of the day, we see where they end up because of lying. You know, the, their hearts were exposed before the believers. But what we need is we need disciples. We need people like Peter and all who would be able to discern their hearts, not just their niceness. Right. That's why it's important, again, to emphasize the uh, good value of living in community 
And again, the local church does that for us. And many times we think that um, that we don't get it from there. So I, I, I don't know. When I think of uh, some of these celebrity pastors, they feel like they're too good for that somehow. Um, yeah, you know, I was going to say, um, do you think that, um, like the Catholic Church, maybe evangelicals might need uh, better systems in place, like really ink on paper? Well, uh, that's... What, the, what do you think? I mean, that's where it's hard because, again, if you watch, if you know, if people watch, read about or watch the movie Spotlight, it's not like the system wasn't in place for these priests who were preying on mainly young young boys. It's not like the system wasn't in place to get rid of them and hold them accountable. The system was just not, not put into play. Yeah. It just was abused and they were just shifted around. So, I mean, look, I think it was Reinhold Niebuhr said the most demonic institution is the church because that's where you would expect the devil not to be, right? That's supposed to be the safe haven. But, you know, I think, you know, just to sort of wrap it up from what I, from my end at least, you know, we have to also think that, look, we're talking about moral goodness here, moral purity. Hey, the culture is becoming very moralistic. So one question somebody might want to ask is, do you want to deal with the kind of moralism and moralistic uh, judgment that's coming at you from the culture? Or do you want to take that to Jesus Christ and let him deal with your moral mm-hmm. problems? You know, I could say just for my own, as my own personal testimony, I'm glad that I, I came to know Jesus Christ and have allow him to deal with my mess and the mess that I am. Because to continue to allow uh, human beings to deal with that is just to give oneself over to uh, a sort of eternal condemnation and judgment that yeah. you can't get out of. So. Um, Amen to that, right? I think the Lord is not finished with us yet. And uh, just like that horse uh, gaining wings illustration by Lois, it's going to get ugly before it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. So Growth is never easy. Um, what I would say is that, and I think our listeners must know that, um, all three of us here, I, I hope I can speak for you guys as well, that we sit sit here and talk about these things with the knowledge that we ourselves uh, uh, have to still finish our race, right? And that's only possible if we rely on the Holy Spirit to give us all that is necessary to do that and to fight a good fight. Um, and in our own personal life, we need to be checking each day as to who we are accountable to and what we are accountable to. At the end of the day, we have to have the Spirit of God in us uh, to be able to make the discernment as to where we are and where we should be, um, trusting the Lord. And I think uh, uh, trusting God, being in communion with God, listening to His voice and submitting to His standard, His law is necessary. That's, that's, That's what I would say in terms of like being accountable and being true to our calling. I want to end our session this evening with uh, Lewis's words, actually. So this is the last part of the great work, Mere Christianity. I'm going to read it to you. I I like it. It's a good way to end. He says, Give up of yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. 
and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. So you've been listening to Apologetics.com Radio, and I'd like to thank Anthony and Jacob and our sound engineer back there, Jared. Uh, Until next week, good night.